All right, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Redemption Church on a hot July Sunday. Thank you guys for being here this morning. Um, this morning, we are continuing to move through the book of 1 John. We have been doing so uh, throughout the course of the summer um, and will be for the next few weeks as well, looking at the book of 1 John and what uh, 1 John has for us as a church, as believers what John intended for us to hear and, and, and to see in this book. And so in just a few minutes, we will continue on. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24 this morning. 1 John 3, uh, verses 11 through 24. Uh, but before we uh, read that passage and move on, uh, let me pray for us. God, thank you for the opportunity we have to be together this morning to gather around your word. God, thank you. For Jesus, thank you that it's because of Christ that in this place we can be gathered together, related to one another as brothers and sisters, as your children. God, thank you that we can gather around Christ's name and worship and God, hear from you. I pray as we look at this passage, as we finish the time that we have together, I pray that Jesus would continue to be lifted high in this place, that we would be drawn to you. God, I pray that you would use me as an instrument of your grace and mercy, an instrument of the gospel. God, because I recognize that my words are of little importance. But God, your words are of utmost importance. And so I pray that we would hear your words. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds, that you would change us even in this place this morning. God, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. Um, if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, please do so. I think it'll be up here on the screen as well. But this is what God's Word says in 1 John chapter 3. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death, and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This morning, we're going to dive right into the text of 1 John chapter 3. And there's essentially three things that I want us to see as we move through this passage. 
Um, number one, there's a command. Number two, there's a definition. And number three, there's a, a, a context of lessons learned. So that's what we're going to deal with. The command, the definition, and the context of lessons learned. First John 3.11 is the start of the second half of the book of First John. Um, at the beginning of First John, in First John chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And then in 1 John chapter 3, 11, where we just started, we hear something very similar. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And so at the beginning of the book, John says, God is light. And now there's a distinctive shift in 1 John three eleven that follows sort of the same writing as in the first chapter where John says that we should love one another and that that is an old message. You've heard it from the beginning. So in the first part of John, the message is that God is light. And here... We're starting the second half of the book of John, and the message shifts a little bit. And it shifts to focus on love. We're going from light to love. Now, the logic of John's writing in this book, if you spent any time reading through 1 John, you've seen this. But the logic of John is sometimes really hard to follow. In the sense that if John has five things that he wants to talk about, he's not going to talk about them in any sense of order, right? He's going to talk about item one, and then item three, and then item four, and then item five, and then he's going to talk about 2C, and then he's going to talk about 5B, and eventually he'll get to four, and then he'll start all over, right? And so John is constantly circling around these things that he wants us to see in this book, and examining them in, in different ways from different angles, like he was turning um, a diamond or a precious jewel and looking at the different facets of what he wants us to, to see and to hear. But for sure, even though we're going to talk about some of the same subjects, and even though the next passage that we're going to look at next week, there seems to be a shift from love, there really is a defining shift right here, First John 3.11, where we move from light to love. We're going to, um, we're sort of going from doctrine to ethics. We're going from, if this is true about God, then this is what that means for you and how you are to live. And the first thing we hear in this shift in chapter 3 is a reminder of the message that's been there from the beginning, the command to love one another. It's an old message. John says you've heard it from the beginning. That's what 1 John 3.11 is about. In 1 John 3.12 through 15, John gives us a negative example of love. And he gives us the example of Cain and Abel. If you remember the story of Cain and Abel from the Old Testament, and if you don't, I'll just briefly summarize it. Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer. They were brothers. There was a time for them to offer sacrifices to God. And when they did so, Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not. And so there arose some jealousy and some anger from Cain and he ended up murdering his brother. That's the negative example of love 
that John gives us. And then in verses 16 through 18, John gives us a positive example of love and really a definition of love. It's the positive example of Jesus willingly laying down his life for his people. And then in verses 19 through 24, we're sort of reminded of the relationship between obedience and assurance and love. It's where John does one of these things where he circles around topics. And so he's essentially telling us that loving one another is a test of whether or not we truly belong to God. And he's saying that fully remembering and practicing that love is what leads to greater assurance that we are children of God and greater confidence in our relationship with God. But the overall idea of this passage, what goes through the entire passage from beginning to end in 11 through 24, is that God's people are to love one another. Now we know from the rest of the New Testament that that command to love extends beyond just one another. Right? Jesus told us to Uh, love God with everything that we have and to love our neighbor as ourself. And when Jesus uh, told us to love our neighbor as ourself, he was not just talking about our brothers and sisters, right, in that passage. Um, So there's a command that goes farther throughout the New Testament. But in this book, specifically, John's focus here is on this body of faith to love one another. If you remember what we've talked about, John, and, and this church, there was probably a split. There was probably people who were causing uh, a lot of conflict, um, creating lots of problems in the life of this church. And so there's probably a lot of anger. There's probably a lot of hurt. There's probably a lot of um, lack of love. And so John is reminding these believers to love one another. But let me ask you this question. When we hear the word love, what is it that we think of? Like just this past week, the other night I was sitting and reflecting on this. How have I used the word love over the last week or so? Um, I've told my wife that I love her. I've told my children that I love her. I also told someone that there's a specific restaurant that I love. I told someone that I love the weather in San Diego. My family and I just got to spend some time out there. Um, I told somebody else that I love a particular musician and, and band, right? But depending on the context of what I'm talking about, surely I mean something different when I say that I love my wife or my daughters than I do when I say I love a restaurant or a geographic location or whatever it might be. In one context, when talking about food, or music, I'm really just expressing a strong affection for something that brings me joy on some level. And in the other context, when I'm telling my wife or my daughters that I love them, I'm expressing something much stronger than just an affection. I'm expressing um, a desire to give of myself, a desire to sacrifice, a desire to, um, to be there and to do something for my family. Right? And, and in the idea, or, or within the context of the church, depending on how long we've been believers or what our background is, we might sort of get this idea that love is defined in Scripture as something that's sacrificial. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we practice it well. Which is why John's reminder of the command to love one another 
is so pertinent and so relevant and as relevant as it's ever been. Years ago, when I graduated from high school, um, I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Some of you might be able to relate to that. So in my first year of college, I ended up going to Columbia Bible College, Columbia, South Carolina. And I had this inkling, I wasn't real sure, uh, that maybe what I was going to do is go and be a missionary. And Columbia Bible College was known for its missions emphasis. But I got to Columbia Bible College and I quickly realized that's probably not the life for me. But one of the good things that came out of my time at Columbia Bible College was I was introduced to this guy named Robertson McQuilkin Jr. I don't know if you've heard of Robertson McQuilkin Jr. He was the president of Columbia Bible College from and seminary, Columbia Bible College and seminary from 1968 until 1990. Um, in 1990, he became quite renowned for something other than his scholarship being the president of a Bible college and seminary. In 1990, he stepped away from Columbia Bible College and Seminary, stepped away from his professional life as a scholar, as a teacher, as a writer, to care for his wife who had developed Alzheimer's. And many people uh, pressured him to hire caretakers for his wife so that he could continue to be a president of the college and seminary, so that he could continue to teach and write. But instead, he chose to to go home and to take care of his wife in the last years that he would have with her. And he eventually wrote a book entitled A Promise Kept about his time stepping away from leading a seminary, leading a Bible college, from writing to care for his wife instead. I would encourage you to check out the book if if you get an opportunity. But here's a quote from the book about this decision in his life. And this is what he says. The decision was made in a way 42 years ago when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health till death do us part. So as a man of my word, integrity has something to do with it, but so does fairness. She has cared for me fully and sacrificially all these years. If I cared for her for the next 40 years, I would not be out of her debt. Duty, however, can be grim and stoic. But there is more. I love Muriel. She is a delight to me. Her childlike dependence and confidence in me, her warm love, occasional flashes of that wit I used to relish so, her happy spirit and tough resilience in the face of her continual distressing frustration. I don't have to care for her. I get to. Right? Do you hear those last two sentences? I don't have to care for her. I get to. Whatever comes to mind when we hear John say, this is a message that you've heard for the beginning, love one another. Whatever it is that comes to mind, we need to grasp that what John is getting at here is more like the idea of getting to give of ourselves for our brothers and sisters than seeking to get something for ourselves, from our brothers and sisters, right? The, the positive example is Jesus who willingly gave of himself, who lovingly loved his people to the point of death in order that we might have life, right? Love gives life, but hate, it takes life. 
And Cain is the example of that in this passage. That's why one of the goals of our missional communities here at Redemption is to love one another like family. To give life to one another through the love that Christ has given us, right? And so church, in our body of faith, in our missional communities, in our homes, in our relationships, in our friendships, are we developing and pursuing this sort of love that John is talking about? Maybe we grasp the idea of what John is talking about, but are we pursuing this? Or is it just an idea? In verse 16, it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Let's make sure that we define this concept of love well. Love is most powerfully defined, not by abstract concepts, but by an action. And specifically, the redemptive action of God on our behalf. Love is best defined by God's initiative to send his son and do something for us that we could never do for ourselves. Love is best defined by God's initiative to act for our benefit. And the center of that love is God's willingness to offer his own son as a sacrifice. And so when John says love one another, this is an old message that you've heard. Our understanding of what he means by that must, must be defined by nothing less than the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I recognize that the minute that I say that's the standard of love, that in my own heart, I recognize that that my love fails so short of the willing self-sacrifice That Jesus showed. I I get that. It just does. Especially when we read verses like 17 and 18. Where John says. But if anyone has the world's goods. And sees his brother in need. Yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children. Let us not love in word or talk. But in deed and in truth. I'm afraid for us. That our tendency is to define love. As something less than the action of sacrifice that we see on the cross. Jesus says to you and me through the words of John here, love one another, and he defines that love for us by willingly giving of himself for us. Perhaps our problem in fulfilling this command is that much of what we would call love is not love at all. Maybe our problem in not fulfilling this command is simply that we are unwilling Maybe it's not that we define it wrong. Maybe it's just that we're unwilling to be sacrificial for one another. And if we're unwilling to be sacrificial for one another, let me ask you the question, why? Why? John is calling us to love one another. That's not really a surprise. It directly echoes the call of Jesus that I mentioned a minute ago in the greatest commandment where Jesus calls us to love God with all that we have, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And let me just say, we as a church really need to keep hearing this message about loving our neighbors and about loving one another. We really need to hear this. Jesus said, by this, 
all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said, if you'll love me, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, right? And, and part of what God has called us to do and commanded us to do is love one another. And boy, does our world need to see a body of believers, a church that loves one another and that loves our neighbors. Our, our, the immigrants and the refugees at our southern border right now in Clarkston, Georgia, where we just had a team go and visit this past week and spend some time working with Envision from the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Well, they are our neighbors and they are to be loved. And if we get caught up in the political rhetoric about all of those things, then perhaps we miss the fact that we have an opportunity to love in a way that we have not seen before. And for those of us in this room, in churches across our nation and our world, those who would practice identity politics in such a way to draw a hard line with others to say they're different from us, we're going to malign them, we're going to speak ill of others in order to build political power, Well, I wish those believers would remember that our allegiance is to a king who reigns eternally. And that king tells us to love one another and to love our neighbor. And that trumps anything else. He does not call us to call people names and act as if they are less than human. Our king calls us to love one another, and to love our neighbors. Not only does our king call us to love our neighbor, here's the other great thing about Jesus. Not only does he call us to do this, he actually gives us the means to do so. It's not just go do it, it's go do it, and I'm going to give you the means to do it, right? Because Jesus loves us, he changes us, he gave himself for us to make us God's children and we're children of the king who reigns eternally over everything our father lacks nothing so what's our mindset when it comes to loving others our mindset can be as princes and princesses children of a king who has everything or our mindset can be as a pauper who is unwilling to give because we have nothing to give. And the reality of the fact is that if we're children of the king, our father lacks nothing. We're cared for. Therefore, we can care for others knowing that our father is still caring for us. Let's make sure that we understand when God tells us to love one another, when our father tells us to love our neighbors, We're serving a king. We're children of a king who lacks nothing. Who lacks nothing. And he's not telling us to go and serve others devoid of the power, devoid of the resources, devoid of the means that he possesses. We're children of the king. Our father lacks nothing. We're cared for. And there is no reason for us to not care for and love one another and love our neighbor. 
We've seen in 1 John chapter 3 that there's an old command to love. It's been there from the beginning. John says this is the message. This is the good news of love. Love one another. We've defined what love is. Love is sacrificial. Love is giving. Jesus has defined love for us. And not only has he defined love for us, he's given us the means and the ability to love one another. But I think there are a few other lessons learned here from 1 John. Verse 11, he's told us to love one another. We know that in verses 17 and 18, he says this, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The call to love one another, like I've already said, it's not new. It was well known by God's people. It goes all the way back to when God was first gathering a people for himself and told them this in the first five books of the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. Uh, this comes from Deuteronomy uh, here, where it says, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Right, this message is old. It goes back to when God was first gathering a people for himself, when he laid out a law for how his people to, were to live with one another. Right? And in this church or this group of churches in Ephesus that John was writing to, there were all these people and teachers who were distorting the gospel message. We've, we've talked about this, the, the Gnostic influence that was probably present in Ephesus. And part of what they're saying is that you have to go over here. You have to find this new thing. You have to find this light inside yourself, this new gospel message inside yourself. It's this new secret that lives in you, and you need to figure it out. And John says, no. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. God is light. God is love. You already know what God wants for you. It's been the same message all along. It's been the same good news all along. Love one another. Regardless of whatever God has for your life, whatever you do, whatever your job is, wherever you live, who you have relationships with, there is an inescapable call on your life to love one another. If you claim to be God's child, you have been called and equipped and set free to love one another. You've been given the capacity and the freedom to love, and it's been that way for God's people from the beginning. Verses 14 and 15, this is a second thing to pick up about love. Verses 14 and 15, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This kind of cuts to the core but a lack of love in a church, in a home, in a relationship, in a family, a lack of being willing to sacrifice for one another creates a culture of death. It is the opposite of life-giving. A lack of love is life-taking. 
It's life ending. Right? So let this be a warning that cuts to our heart and leads us to repentance. There is no place in God's church for death to be exalted. When Christ rose from the grave, death was defeated and death no longer reigns. And when God's people do not love one another, we are giving death a status it no longer possesses. I'm not exaggerating at all when I say that because it's in the text. John is saying it, not me. If you don't love, you're abiding in death. Have you ever been around dead things? Dead things decay. Dead things smell bad. Let's not be a people. Let's not be a body that abides in death and takes life and smells bad. Let's be a body. Let's be a people of faith that brings life, that brings a pleasant aroma, that is life-giving because of Christ, because of what Christ has done, because of what Christ is doing through us. Third, if we look at verses 19 and 21, we see this. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. I love verse 20 here. There's such comfort in hearing for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Our hearts are desperately wicked and evil. That's what scripture teaches us. But God is greater than our heart. John tells us later on in this book in 1 John that part of the reason that he's writing this book is to give assurance that we can know that we are children of God. And so right here, what I think he's doing in this passage and, or in these verses, 19 through 21, is he's circling around how love and assurance and confidence tie together. Right In verses 19 and 20, we're reminded of how when we doubt that we know God, that God's love given to us and flowing through us is assurance that we know him. And verse 21 reminds us that when we better understand that love, when we've moved past our doubts by understanding Christ's love, there's great confidence that comes about in our relationship to God. Right? John is aware that believers, when faced when, with outside influences, against the gospel, when faced with our own internal doubts about whether or not we belong to God, in our own moments of fear and melancholy and depression, that we will at times need assurance. And so John gives us something here in these passages about love and assurance and how they work together. And the first of these things that he tells us in verse 19 is this, that, that if we look back over our lives for evidence of love for other believers, that, well, let me just read verse 19 again real quick. He says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. And by this refers back to everything he said before, our love for one another. By this, by our love for one another would have us reassure our hearts by finding specific instances where we have sacrificed for our brothers and sisters. Even as we do that, even as we reflect and remember how God has used us to sacrifice for others, we will find on occasion that our hearts are still troubled. And so the second of the things that he tells us here 
is about the assurance of God's love, that God is indeed greater than our hearts, and God knows everything. Both our sin and our love, our failures and our successes, through them all, despite them all, God still promises to receive us, not based on what we have or have not done, but based on the righteousness of Christ. God is greater than our hearts. And so when our hearts condemn us, God promises to receive us based on what Christ has done. He goes on in verse 21 telling us about the greater confidence that comes from the assurance of love when we recognize how Christ's love is there for us, what Christ's love has done for us, what it means for us as individuals and what it means for others through us. And so in verses 19 through 21, like I said, John is circling around this idea of love and assurance and saying, you can be assured Look at the way God is using you to love others. Look at the way that God has loved you and how God is greater than your heart. Look at the confidence that you can have before God because of the way Jesus has loved you. There's a a correlation between love and assurance, the reason that John is writing this book. one, One final thought about sort of the implications or sort of the the context of love, some lessons learned here is this. In this passage, it's unmistakable that John is calling us to love one another. But if you miss that, you miss this passage altogether. That's what it's about. We could go so far as to say that from Scripture and from what John has for us here, we could go so far as to say that love is the primary duty of a Christian. To love God with all that we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love one another. That's what Jesus said. But I would also say that that is completely impossible without God himself enabling us to do so. I've already talked about how the definition of love is Jesus, but Jesus is also the means of our love. Without the help of the Holy Spirit that John references in verse 24 will never live up to the standard of love that God has for us. Right? But don't, don't miss this. Even though it's not explicit in this text that there's a correlation between love and maturity. This whole book turns on the notion of love in this chapter. And part of what we need to understand as believers, part of what we need to grasp is that maturity produces greater love. A deepening relationship with Christ because of the love that Christ has shown us produces greater love through us for one another. I think sometimes in the Christian life, we get a little confused about what maturity looks like. We might think that maturity looks like greater knowledge. We might think that maturity looks like being better able to articulate systems of doctrine and theology. We might think that maturity looks like showing up at church all the time, doing all the things, volunteering for everything. But I think part of what John has for us here is that the true test of Christ-likeness and abiding in God is the demonstration of love for one another. Our Christian heroes, they should be the people who love greatly. Because they are the most Christ-like. 
Not those who talk like Jesus or who can best talk about Jesus. But those who best love like Jesus. Maybe those people should be our heroes. Maybe we need to recalculate what we value and what we think of as Christian maturity. Because I think part of what John is telling us here is that what it means to be children of God is to love one another. So maybe a better depiction of a mature believer is a believer that loves like Christ. Right? I think in this passage this morning, Christ, we've seen that we are called to love. John has made that clear. I think we've seen in this passage that Christ defines love for us by his sacrifice. I think that we can see from this passage that God enables us to love because of Christ, because of what Christ has done, because of the way that Christ has enabled us to love. And so I would leave you with just a few questions. This morning, as we talked about loving one another, who is it that has come to your mind that you need to love? Number two, maybe this. How have we misunderstood love? Or in another way, why have we failed to love one another? Why have we failed to sacrifice for one another? And then thirdly, I would ask you this question. How can we better rest in the fact that we are loved? How can we better rest in the fact that Christ has loved us? Christ is not sending us to love one another devoid of him already loving us. Christ is not sending us to love one another devoid of giving us the means and the ability and the example and the freedom and the joy to do so. So how can we better rest in the fact that God loves us so that we can love one another sacrificially? I'm going to move into a time of response. Um, During the time of response here at Redemption, uh, a few different things happening at the same time. Number one, the band's going to come back up here in just a second and lead us in some songs and give us an opportunity to worship by singing. Um, invite you to sing along if you want to worship in that way. During this time, as the band comes back up here and leads us, you have an opportunity to sit where you are and maybe reflect on the things that we've heard this morning. Maybe the way that God's Uh, word God's Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts and minds things that we might need to to think about pray about talk about repent of commit to whatever it might be during this time we have an opportunity to give there's a giving table in the back where you put your tithes and offerings and during this time as well we have an opportunity to take communion the reason that we take communion here at Redemption Church is so that we can remember what Christ has done for us and so that we can proclaim to one another that we believe it, that we believe the gospel, that it's true. And so you can come down each one of these side aisles. You can tear off the bread, which represents the body of Christ that was given for us, dip it into the wine or juice, which represents the, the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And in doing so, as we're tearing the bread, dipping the bread... And eating, we're remembering the sacrifice that Christ has done. We're remembering the gospel. And we're proclaiming to one another that that we believe it. 
that it's true. So I'm going to pray for us and we'll continue through that time of response. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder from your word this morning. You've called us to one another. You've called us to love one another. But God, you haven't just called us. You've defined what that means. You've given us the means to do so. You taught us a great deal about love. And so, Holy Father, I pray that you would lead us to rest in the way that you've loved us. You would lead us to recognize how great your love has been for us. God, that we might rest in it, that we might take joy in it, and that we might be willing to love others as well. God, I pray that in the next few minutes we have, that Jesus would continue to be lifted high, that we would be drawn to you. God, I ask this in the name of your Son. Amen.